This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Pete George, once again, in uh, what is likely, as this recording goes on, to become quite a hot van. Uh, where where are you parked today, Pete? At the top of some mountains somewhere. We're about 1,000 thousand metres elevation um, in Spain. Going to go and climb the, uh, the tallest mountain in Spain tomorrow, I think. So I'm not sure what the town's called, but I might be able to work out from that. I love that. So uh, I imagine you've you've got slightly uh, slightly cooler climbs then if you're if you're at that kind of altitude. Uh, no, not at the minute. I think it's still <laughs> close to thirty degrees, sweating. So, right, good, uh, good to know. Good, uh, good to know that if you sort of fall asleep midway through this recording, it's not just because I'm boring. So uh, that that's uh, it's it's always important to important to establish that. And before we uh, before we jump uh, jump into it, Pete, I know you're in. Uh, you're in Portugal because you unfortunately couldn't join us for the uh, uh, for the Stu White pod. Uh, drinking Superbock on a beach, I believe, was the was the line. Um, but my big question for you, and by the way, anybody listening to this who hasn't tried one, you need to. Did you get to try the Franchesina whilst you were in uh, in Portugal? I'm going to disappoint you and say no, I didn't. Um, didn't end up going out for lunch, only dinner a couple of times, and um, didn't actually sit on the menu anywhere we went, which was surprising with how easy he said it was to get one. Yeah, uh, they, they, for anybody who doesn't know, a Franchesina is basically it's the it's the Porto signature dish. It's um uh they put basically a piece of steak like sausage, multiple other meats um between two pieces of fried bread. They then melt uh, a piece of cheese over the top of it and pour a spicy tomato sauce over it. So it's in a bowl effectively with a soup. It's absolutely magnificent. So maybe one to try on on your way back, Pete. But anyway, enough of this um uh, en- enough of the, this uh, uh wonderful uh uh, eclectic uh, malarkey that we've got going on here. Let's get into uh, the rough and tumble of it, and that is Albion's nil-nil draw with Bristol City. Now, 
I have to say, I, I, uh, and anybody who, who follows me on social media has seen what I've had to say. It, it, we were recording on Sunday afternoon uh, what I've had to say in the last sort of 12 hours about my thoughts um, on the game. I'm relatively positive off the back of uh, of that game. I know some people aren't, but I do think there's some, I think there's some slightly unrealistic expectations out there around where we should be at at this moment in time. You know, I think there's a, first of all, there's an element uh, to uh, to uh, borrow a phrase from a friend of mine, and he'll know who he is, um, that, that, we, that we should be playing champagne football on a fizzy pop budget. Um, but, uh, but also, I think that Carlos Corbran is managing some difficult situations. He hasn't managed to put his, his stamp on this team in, in a transfer window because he's only been able to bring in three players of his own. He's generally working with a mishmash squad of other managers. And OK, we are after six games, two wins, two draws, two defeats, which is about as average a start as you can possibly get. I don't think that's that bad, to be honest with you. It's not where we want to be. And I appreciate that. But I also think that it kind of slightly is where we are in terms of budget and what we've got to spend and how we can um, and how we can support the manager at this moment in time. But I also think, as was seen yesterday in the second half and the fact that we were it was a very much a, a swingometer moment against Huddersfield where we could have won the game and we ended up losing it. I don't think we're miles off, Pete. I think uh, I think there's enough signs that that there are good things ahead for Albion. I'm confident that we that we aren't going to be a twelfth place team as this season goes on. I think Cor- Corbran is going to start to improve this side. I think there are things he needs to he needs to improve going forward, and we will touch on them shortly. But I'm I'm pretty upbeat at this moment in time. I don't know how how you feel because uh, as I say I didn't go into this season with masses of expectations. Anybody who who heard our pre-season predictions knows I predicted Albion to finish ninth. And I think uh, whilst we are a little bit below there, I-, I see enough reasons for why we've dropped points in games. I think we should have despite the fact the xG not agreeing with me, I think we should have had more points against Bristol City we definitely should have had all three points against uh, against Huddersfield I think there's there's plenty to work on and I would expect Albion given that we are slap bang in the middle of the table to as the season goes on go up that table rather than down it what do you think Pete? I don't think we're playing as well as we can be which is probably a promising thing considering we've had a pretty average start so if you do start to pick up the foot performances and pick up a few results then you know it's not like we're climb, having to climb miles up the table to to be in a decent position um definitely need to start creating a few more chances but again it's just it seems to be really fine margins for when when we don't create chances like we look like we're going to go into like the major chance at the end the um thomas asante one and even the townsend one that was just you know a couple of inches the wrong way with the pass and if it'd been the other way we'd have well, almost guaranteed a goal. So, well, and that's where that's where the XG doesn't tell the full story, isn't it, Pete? Because I think you said to me off air that that was zero point one six or some or something like that, which uh, which is is fair enough. But if Maja pulls that ball just you know half a yard further back, it's a tap in. Yeah, exactly. And then you know the the value of it goes up a lot. So there was that, and then 
when you don't get the shot shot off as well, like in Madge's situation at the end, um, you know, that would have been a good value. So stuff like that. And if you can just get your shots off there and just, it's just tiny, tiny margins there that, you know, can, well, decides the game as well. If Townsend had managed to put that in or if Madrid got his shot off and finished it, then we'd have probably been walking away with three points. So I think there's, yeah, plenty to be positive about. And of course, we got the first clean sheet of the season. So that's always promising. And that's that's a good point as well, because Corbran gets accused of negativity at times. And whilst I think we are we're cautious starters and we'll come to that in in a moment, I don't understand where this accusation of negativity, particularly this season, really comes from, uh, Pete, because, as you say, that's our first clean sheet of the season, which, first of all, tells its own story. It's also the first time this season that we haven't scored in a game. To take that a little bit further, in the six games that we've played so far, we have been involved in 20, uh, 22 goals. That's 11 for, 11 against. Before yesterday, before we before we drew nil-nil with Bristol City, that was... The second we we'd been involved in the second most games of any team in the division. The only team we'd been involved in more are Southampton, who've been involved in a crazy thirty-two goals. Uh, no, sorry, thirty-seven goals uh, in um, in six games. Thirty-two before before this weekend's round of games, um, and I th- and everyone's criticising them. Everybody's saying that Russell Martin doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so. You know, do, do you want to be involved in in a load more goals? Because everybody's criticising the guy who's who's involved in more goals than we are. So I don't think we're overly negative because we're producing a lot of goals. We're third now after that nil nil draw. Norwich have now been involved in one more goal than we have. But we are, by virtue of purely virtue of goals, we are the third most entertaining team in the entire division to go and watch. And I don't really get where this negativity comes from. And also. And I go, you go back slightly to Corbrand's uh, comments. I think it was after the Huddersfield game. He pointed out that we'd only we'd only conceded less than two goals in one game this season, which was the Leeds game. And he said that's unsustainable. You can't win football matches from from that point of view. Now, what did he do yesterday? Okay, it was a bit negative first half, and it was punctuated by some individual mistakes, which we will come to. But in the end, he has got our first clean sheet of the season and he very easily could have gone away with a 1-0 win from that game. We we were by far and away the better team in that second half. We we it, Despite them having a massive chance late on due to a howler from Kipre, we, we were the only team that really looked like winning it in that second half. If they'd stuck that away, that would have basically been sticking away pretty much their only chance of the uh, of the of the of the second half, we dominated that game, and we we largely, other than individual mistakes, which again I'm going to come to shortly, we largely kept them quiet. That was the basis for Corbrand's success over that mad run that we had when he first came in. It's pretty obvious what he's trying to do, Pete, isn't it? He's he's looked at what what we've done in the first five games of the season. He's gone. This is too harem scarum for me, and we are not going to be successful if we are this open, if there are this many goals in our games. I need to get back to what made us successful last season. Let's try and do that. But the idea that... So that makes sense. 
But the idea of accusing us of being highly negative when we've been involved in the third most goals in the entire division, it doesn't tally, does it? I think the issue probably is that a lot of the time when we've got the ball out wide in the opposition's half, we don't have many players in the box. So we'll only have maybe Thomas Santi in the box and then we'll look to cross the ball and it's like we don't have enough men forward. It, uh, possibly that we're trying to defend with too many players and then not getting or having too many players back to protect against counter-attacks. But also maybe that we just don't really have an aerial threat in the box. There's not much point throwing players into the box to, to cross the ball and we're better off trying to kind of work space inside and, and play in there and get it on the get it on the floor and, and create chances that way. But yeah, I can I can kind of see how it can be seen as negative when we have the ball out wide so often and, and no one in the box to cross to. But I think it's more that we don't actually want to cross it in too much unless there's a, a real chance that we can get on the end of it because, I mean, Thomas Santi's not great in the air and, you know, Wallace or, or Swift, again, not not massive aerial threats. So, but a crossing is kind of just giving away... What a looping header though yesterday from Swifty. Well, yeah, it was a great header and very unlucky not to score but in general I think I don't think you can uh, assume he's going to be an aerial threat like someone like No Andy he's, not, he's not Andy Carroll or Duncan Ferguson is he let's be fair No it was a great effort but um, yeah I think we kind of tailored more towards trying to create chances on the floor and through the through the centre and with people kind of underlapping inside if we do have the ball out wide like Townsend often does when he's on the pitch so it's almost pointless to just whip the ball into the box even if we have got even if we do push men into there, because we're more than likely just going to give it away. I mean, let's. Uh, I've touched on a few of our problems before. Let's uh, let, let's talk about them uh, now, Pete. The first one I want to talk about is, and part probably part of the reason that Albion fans perceive us to be a negative team is that we are um, we're cautious starters to games. You and I have done or more importantly, you have done it, uh, you've done the data and I've written it down, um, the the goals that we have scored over the last... And this goes beyond Corbran, by the way. This uh, this goes way back across Ishmael, across Bruce, and then into Corbran. So this is a trend that we are seeing um, with this group of players, that they do start games cautiously. They do potentially start games slowly in an attacking sense. In 21-22, we scored 19 goals in the first half, 29 goals in the second half. So 10 more. In 22-23, we scored 19 goals in the first half and 25 goals in the in the second half. Um, so again, six more. And so far this season, we have scored three goals in the first half and seven in the second half. Pete, I know you've got a bit of a theory as to why this is, but is that potentially why Albion fans perceive this team to be negative? Because for quite a long time now, it's taken Albion, in an attacking sense, a while to grow into games. And that's not just across Corbrand, but it is this group of players. Across three managers, this has been a bit of a trend. Yeah, and it... We maybe are a little bit cautious in the first half, which um, can be understandable in ways we saw what happened under Bruce when we were conceding first in almost every game. But I think, especially this season and under Coburn last season, we probably um, benefited a lot from the opposition having to open up in the second half to try and get a goal. 
and then leaving more space in behind that we can counter into. And then obviously the later on in games, generally the more space there is. So that's when we score more goals. But yeah, I do think we can be kind of a little bit cautious. And I mean, even the lineup um, against Brist Bristol City was not cautious, but it could have given a start to Sami and so, um, or maybe even Madger and played two up top from the start. So I think there are, are ways that we could be more um, more of a threat from the start. But again, you don't want to concede the early goal and then let Bristol just shut up shop and not leave any space in behind. And then, you know, we're going to struggle for the rest of the game. So it's, yeah, you've got to get that, that balance, haven't you? Absolutely. But let's, but let's talk about that, Pete, because look, we, we've, we on this podcast have been huge advocates of what Jed Wallace brings to the side. And I think that I, I, I do honestly believe that, uh, that some of the criticism that he's had is deeply unfounded. I think people saying he hasn't had a good game since February need to give their head a wobble. I, I don't know what they're seeing. Um, I, I think there was, there was a lot to be said for the way Jed was contributing to games towards the back end of uh, of last season but I've always said on this uh, on this podcast I I like to believe that we call it as we see it not based on how we feel about certain players because I I, I love Jed Wallace and I want to see him succeed but I can't sit here right now and pretend he's playing well this season I think he's had maybe one decent game really and I, I I don't think it's his fault I think he's trying but I don't think the system particularly suits him but he even against Bristol City he was much much wider than he has been in any game really this season and nonetheless it's it, it it's still he was better but he it's in the second half anyway everybody was poor pretty much in the first half but he was better in the second half we still we were still better after he went off now we'll come on to talk about Josh Mazur in some depth in in a moment i think you and i would both start with with brandon and josh mazur if that was an option but unfortunately and i hope the whispers i'm hearing are wrong i'm hearing that that that, that we could be having a bit of a worrying situation with that what looked like an ankle injury towards the end um, the the word is that he that he left the ground in a protective boot. He needed two people to help him from the field of play. So, whilst I think we would select Josh Mazur if he was a possibility, I really don't think he's going to be for the uh, for, certainly at least for the for the short term future anyway. But I think it's time to take Jed Wallace out of the side, and I, I also think. When you look at what Jeremy Sarmiento brings to the team, when you look at the way he beats players, I mean, we were just we were just talking off air that he is just this combination of that you don't get in the championship of strength, height, technical ability, speed. I mean, he he just simply, if he hadn't had a long term injury, he would not be playing in this division because everything about him screams Premier League. And I think the time is now to put him in, Pete. And, and I think the time is now to take Jed Wallace, even though he wears the armband, out of the firing line. I also don't think for one second the people who are saying it's the armband that's causing Jed Wallace's poor form, that's ridiculous. I worked at the club for, what was that, eight years. We had various captains. 
I don't think the armband doesn't weigh as heavy as fans think it does. It, it, it it's it's a day to day job around the club far more than it is a job on the pitch uh, these days. You know, players are encouraged to to all be leaders on on the pitch. It's not down to one player to run the game on the pitch. Plus, managers are so give so much detail to players now that they generally should know their roles. It shouldn't be for a, for a captain to be marshalling an entire team during a game. So I don't believe for one second it's the it's the armband that's created a problem for Jed in terms of his form. I just think we're playing in quite a different way this at the start of this season to what we were at the end of last season. And I think it doesn't really suit Jed. But for that very reason, Pete, I think he needs to come out the side and Sarmiento needs to come in. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, he's having to play a lot less just out on the out on the sideline and get more involved centrally. And it's, well, you're taking probably one of the best right foot crosses in the division. And, and of course, to... we've we've lost DK since, you know, since the sort of back end of last season. And it's interesting that when people say Jed finished last season poorly, well, Maybe that coincided. Uh, he, I don't think he was as poor as people say, but maybe that coincided a little bit with DK coming out the side because the two of them are a match made in heaven, aren't they? Well, yeah, you, Jed's, like I say, probably one of the best right foot crosses in the division, if not the best. And he's no longer got a target in the box, and he's been asked to play a lot more centrally as well, and just kind of rotate with players. So you're taking him away from what what he does best, and um, he's still obviously a very good footballer, and that's it's not like it's the only thing he can do, but his best attribute isn't being used. And I think it's fair to say that his performances are suffering for him, suffering for it. And he's being asked to play in areas that he's probably not as natural with. Like there was one time he, I think he received like a long ball and he was just central against Bristol City and he had to receive it with his back to goal and a defender, a centre-back um, right behind him. And Well, Pete, I've seen people making quite a big deal about um, Jed's dispossessed data against Bristol City. But as you say, at times... He was being used almost as a as a target man number nine. I uh, I thought I'm not going to have a go at the 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 account that that said it, but I thought there was some not uh, uh, some. We always try to put the data on this podcast into a context. Uh, it's not just numbers. There's there's stuff behind it, and I did think some of the stuff being said on it was just dropping numbers without context around Jed. And you look at where he was playing, he's not a backs to goal number nine. And that dispossessed data happened because Jed was being asked to do something which he's just not suited to do. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's probably the same as asking Daryl DK to play out wide. He's not going to get, not going to look anywhere near as good if you ask him to play out wide as he is if he can pin a centre back in the the centre of the pitch. I think, yeah, Wallace received um, three long passes in kind of the, the middle third, the central third of the pitch and probably even more that he was dispos- dispossessed from. So you're asking him to get the ball there and have a defender that's probably twice his size coming up behind him and just wrestle him off the ball. It's it's never going to be easy when you compare it to someone like Daryl Dico who's, who's A, used to doing it and B, he's got the, the physicality to do it. So yeah, it's a bit unfair to um, to expect him to be able to to keep the ball if he's he's getting it like that rather than just getting out on the touchline where he's you know pretty much unopposed and has only got a fallback to to either hold off or or kind of square up and try and beat. But if you take him out of his natural position, then it's it's hard to expect the same level of performance from him. Um, and I think I'm with you that I'll probably start Sarmiento in the next game if we're going to play in the same same way that we have been. Um, it, because that, he... it, just to say, Pete, that's 
if if by some miracle and because uh, I really unfortunately I really don't think this is going to be the case if Major is fit do you start Sarmiento or do you start Major because I don't I, I don't subscribe I've got, I know there's some people that would have Sarmiento Major and D Diangana all in the starting 11 I don't think I I think it's I think it's one of the three for me because personally if Maja was fit, he won't be fit for Wednesday. I can't see that for the for, for for the life of me. But if he was if he was fit in the very near future, I I'd quite like to see us two up front. Yeah, we did look really good with both Maja and Thomas Santi on the pitch. So I think, well, I think if Maja was fit, he'd, he'd have to start for me. So it'd be between Thomas Santi and, and Sarmiento, whether you play kind of a three four three or a three what was it three five two. But yeah, like you say, I can't they're, they're all just numbers to me these days. The, the formations are so fluid that, and this this is what annoys me a little bit when people say, "Oh, we're playing the same way as we did last week," just because just because the the the, the formation written down looks the same. It's like, oh god, it, 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 you can't. It's not. It's not like it's not like Mike Bassett uh, days when four four two meant four four two, and and you and you wrote it on the back of a cigarette packet. It the f- formations, I think, uh, to a certain degree, they they mean something, but you can't you can't say a four four two or a, or or a, or a five three two or what it is the same game from game, can you? No, you got. I think you got like the basic formation, and then you got the instructions for each player. Um, and under Corbran, like the front three have been very fluid. Even Malumbi yesterday, it was um, Corbran mentioned it in the post-match interview that he'd asked him to in the first half. He was kind of getting ahead of the ball um, and supporting attacks that way, but in the second half, he um, he was asking him to support the ball a bit more. So, kind of be behind play when if we'd gone up a up a wing, then he'd be kind of behind as the support to get out of there if we were kind of stuck and not making any progress and you can see it in his his past maps as well that he was in the first half he was basically just kind of receiving balls back from or playing balls back to the from kind of the right wing to the right back whereas in the in the second half he was um just kind of supporting play on both wings and um receiving passes back and then his passes that he was making were kind of switches um kind of like long uh, horizontal passes just to kind of change the approach of attack, I think. So even that, it's, I mean, the for- formation didn't really change at half time, but it's just little tweaks like that that massively kind of affect the way that players are playing rather than being ahead of the ball. He was, he was more behind it and helping us to keep the ball when we're attacking and just kind of change the, change the approach of the attack, depending on, well, if we were stuck on one side, then he'd switch it to the other and then we'll try that side. And it, well, I mean, I think everyone saw the, difference in performance from the first half to the second half it clearly worked well to, i mean to use the cliche Pete, it was the it was the definitive game of two halves wasn't it yeah exactly we were, i think it's fair to say that bristol city were the better team in the first half um we looked pretty poor and then second half we looked very very good and were unlucky to to not put away one of the chances um so yeah it was definitely definitely a game of two halves it was interesting what Corbrand said after the game about um, the front two as well, because he got asked why Sarmiento only got uh, got brief minutes. And he basically said, we were playing so well with a front two that I didn't want to change it. You know, that I knew bring if I brought on Jeremy, that we had to change the shape a little bit to suit him. And 
I didn't I didn't want to do that and because because everything was going in our favor and obviously when he did bring Sarmiento on it was shortly after Brandon had gone down with cramp Brandon obviously didn't want to come off but I think Corbrand took the decision out of his hands that uh, that that Brandon was struggling because he had to be stretched out just before we had a corner um with uh, with cramp and I think Corbrand saw that brought and saw the opportunity to bring him off for for Sarmiento but I, I thought that front two was just was just tremendous together, Pete. And and as I say, Corbran highlighted it. And I thought it was interesting when you look at the data, because whilst we were improved after half time, the massive improvement came after Maja came on. We made twelve key passes in the game. Half of them came after Maja came on on the sixty-sixth minute. We had 10 completed dribbles in the game. Seven came after Maja came on. And of our 14 shots in the game, eight came on, came after Maja came on. I just thought he was absolutely tremendous, Pete. I thought he, he's not, he doesn't look like an out-and-out out nine. He seems, he seems, uh, and I don't know whether he could play up there on his own leading the line. I don't think that's necessarily what he would be, what he would be good at. But he he seems to love just dropping off picking that ball up and he was threading the ball into the channel for Thomas Asante over and over again he was picking pass after pass after pass um he he i thought he was just absolutely brilliant his technical ability on the ball is phenomenal he's quick enough and I mean, it is look. It's it's a massive shame that we're having to, that we're talking about him here, and I and I honestly think that we're going to talk about him here, and then it could well be a while till we next see him in an Albion shirt because obviously he got he got clobbered in the incident that could and probably should have ended up in 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 being a penalty. But and again, we'll come to that. But I I just think he's such he looks such a good player, but not in and out and out nine. I think he needs to play with someone i mean uh, i we are recording this um uh, at uh, at about quarter to 2 on sunday so whilst whilst we're talking i've got the um, the millwall leeds game on mute in front of me and i can't help thinking he's a little bit like joel Perot, who's who's playing in front of me right now pete that he may well score some goals but he isn't an out and out nine and probably is best with somebody to play with that's that's probably how i see uh josh Mazur. and like i say i just i just hope it's it's uh, the the my concerns are unfounded and it's not long before we see him on on a pitch for albion again yeah i'm not really sure what exactly is going to be his his best kind of way to be played because i mean he obviously look really good creating chances and kind of linking up with brandon but also, he, he seemed really strong when he received his ball, received the ball with his back to goal, um, and held off defenders well. So it looks like he's very well rounded, which is kind of what we thought looking at um, his numbers from previous seasons in France and and at Sunderland. Um, so he looked like he, he'd work really well with a, a two up there. Um, and I think Thomas Sante probably benefited from not having to just be kind of the focal point. He can drift around and, and lose defenders and then kind of reappear well, for Brandon got much wider didn't he after Maja came on and I thought uh, and that I think that suits Brandon because it, he is he came through as a winger there is more space out wide and I and I do think Brandon 
as a nine. I personally don't think he works as a lone striker. I think he, I think he looks isolated. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I think he doesn't. I think he likes to kind of just take himself out of the out of play and out of the picture and just kind of disappear for a second and then reappear with a run where he's completely lost the defenders and and then be played through. But when he's playing as a, a lone nine, then he's he can't really afford to do that because he needs someone there just to occupy the centre backs and and kind of have that presence. If he disappears, then we're going to look like we've just got no options on. But with Madri, he can kind of drift wide and kind of disappear out of the view of the centre-backs and then make the runs in behind and, and the centre-backs have kind of lost him. So I think that, that definitely benefits him. Um, and Madger seems very comfortable on the ball and making those passes and, and timing the passes as well and waiting for the, the right opportunity rather than just rushing it. He seems to be a striker that can, well, that can definitely, um, definitely, definitely can play football rather than just, he's not just there to score goals, he's, he's going to be involved in the build-up and create chances as well. Um, almost like a, what you describe as a false nine, I guess. So, I also thought Pete he he um, he helped John Swift a lot because John Swift's numbers again were absolutely brilliant. Um, yesterday he uh, he he had five key passes, ninety three percent pass completion rate. He hit the bar. He had more touches than any Albion player. But when you look at what what he did that really really massively impacted the game. A lot of it came after Maja came on, and I and I do wonder, and you give me your thoughts on this, whether that's because everybody knows John Swift is going to be our um, our key attacking threat, so it's very easy to try and crowd him and mark him out of games. But when you bring Josh Maja on and he starts dropping, as you say, into a false nine position, you're like, well, we can't leave Maja alone, so. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe there's another player we need to get tight to because he's going to create something, and it doubles the problem for the opposition and it frees up space for Swift. That's certainly how it seemed yesterday because Swift's numbers yesterday were brilliant. They are they are every week at the moment, and it was interesting. Corbran spoke in the week about Swift. He because he said um, he talked about the players who he felt had had a slow start to the season and were performing below their level. He named them, which were Yakoslu, Wallace. Kipre and Palmer, very interesting, and we will we'll chat about those names in in a minute. I mean, we've pretty much done Wallace, but we'll we will be talking about the 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 others on that list. But any any because he he was answering the question of why he kept bringing Yukoslu off, and he said because he can't sustain his level for ninety minutes. But equ- equally, he in the same conversation he said that he thought Swift was very poor in pre-season, that that's why he left him out on the opening day. But since then, he has massively responded and that's why he's back in the side. And he called upon those players that I've just named to do the same as John Swift has done. But I think the the problem always is when you've got one player who's so the focal point that teams can just target him and try and try and mark and bully him out of games. Whereas, um, Whereas if you've got Mazur in there as well, Pete, I think it frees up space for Swift to be even more productive than he already is. Yeah, it probably frees him up space. And and again, Tom Santi is able to go and find space. And um, if he can find space and rely on Swift to, to pick him out with a pass. So yeah, it's probably a mixture of him getting more space, Tom Santi being able to find space and, and probably attacking better areas than Jed Wallace would when he was playing out on the right wing um and yeah those two both that is going to worry the defenders and 
and then Madge is going to have a bit more space as well. So it's, I think it's just when, yeah, I think Madge just kind of made a big difference to everyone that was on the pitch and probably benefited benefited all the attacking Albion players. And yeah, we looked much better for it and individual performances looked better as well when he came on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So to my question, Pete, if you if you had a choice, if if indeed he, he gets some uh, he gets some miracle cream and he's he's all fit by Wednesday. If you had a choice between him and Sarmiento to start over Wallace, who'd you pick? Probably go. I think I would go Madger and then. Swift and Tom Sante as the the support and attackers, the wide players. Yeah, I think I'd go absolutely the same, Pete. I mean, obviously, the reason that we're having to talk about Mazur as as an extreme doubt is due to the challenge in the last minute, which should, in theory, have ended up being a penalty. Um, it, when you see it slowed down frame by frame, there's no doubt in my mind that the the, the player takes out. Mazur before he gets to the ball that being said when I saw it in real time and also Andy Johnson on the on the Albion commentary said exactly the same it looked a brilliant challenge it looked a brilliant challenge in real time so I have uh, we, we've been very critical of some refereeing decisions on this pod I'm not sure I can criticize that one Pete I, I, I whilst I'm gutted to not get the penalty and I do think if we had VAR in the championship, that the referee would have been sent to the monitor, it would have been slowed down to him frame by frame, and it would have been given. The referee, the referees in the championship just have real time. And I don't think you can criticise the referee for not giving that in real time because I shouted as loudly as everybody in the away end for that to be a penalty, but I didn't believe it. I didn't think it was. I thought I thought he the lad had won the ball, and it's only it was only when I was on the way home and somebody dropped on on Twitter the frame by frame that I realised that actually it was a penalty. But I don't think you can criticise the referee. I think if you are saying that needs to be given, what you're saying is that we need VAR in the championship. And I have to say, as much as it means Albion don't get two more points, I would rather. I would rather not have that penalty and not have VAR in the championship than have that penalty and have VAR in the championship because I, I personally, I am not a fan of VAR. I think it, I, I, I think it actually has created more debate than it has cleared up. If I'm perfectly honest, and I, I, yeah, I think, I think if you're saying that needs to be given, what you're saying is there needs to be VAR in the championship. Would, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, even from watching it, the frame by frame. Pictures. I thought it was difficult to tell whether he 
he did get the man first, or did get the ball. Um, I think he probably did get the man first, um, and therefore it should be a penalty. But even watching it at that speed and that many times, I, I couldn't make my mind up completely. So, yeah, I don't know how any, anyone would expect the referee to be able to give that in, in real time. And from just his angle as well, it's yeah, it's almost impossible. So I don't feel too hard done by, by that. Yeah, it's, as you say, it's probably one that only VAR could give. And whether they'd even say that it's a clear and obvious error is another question. So you might not have even got it with VAR, I don't know. But yeah, I really don't think you can expect the referee to give that in real time. No, and that's uh, and that's entirely fair enough. Before we move on to sort of the other end of the pitch a little bit, Pete, I do want to just talk about we've we've said there's a lot of positives from the Bristol City game, and I absolutely believe that. And to be honest, I think the XG for us in that game is is generally quite misleading because, for example, Townsend's chance counts very very low but the reality is if it's just pulled back slightly more it's a massive chance and the post shot expected goals would have been would have been huge from the same position so I think the XG is slightly misleading for this game but nonetheless we lost the XG battle 1.29 to 0.86 and we've actually only won the XG in one game so far this season which ironically was a game we lost against Huddersfield I think Whilst uh, I, uh, you know, I don't think either of us subscribe to the idea that Corbran is overly negative. I think I think he's cautious to start off with, and I think he goes for games late doors. Um, he threw everything at Huddersfield to try and uh, try and win the game. I think he threw everything at Bristol City yesterday to try and win the game. Just because that didn't work doesn't uh, you know doesn't mean he he didn't do it. He was still positive. He still tried to do it, but. I do think we need to find a way to be a little bit more positive earlier on because at the moment we are looking to out out basically outdo the data in order to win games and there's not a lot of teams over the course of a season who will be successful doing that that if you are constantly losing the xg battle that you can't you can't really expect to constantly win games because you need to you need to be extremely clinical and either come up against profligate sides every week or have an outstanding goalkeeper and we are actually going to talk about Alex Palmer in in a minute and um I think there's there's arguments on both sides for Alex with Alex Palmer but I, I just think we need to be a bit more positive earlier on and create a few more chances because at the moment Pete to win games we are having to we're having to be very clinical as we were against Swansea as we were against Middlesbrough but we said after those ga- those games that what we did in those games probably isn't sustainable over a season and maybe the drop off in results against Huddersfield and um uh, and Bristol City whilst the performances in um certainly against Bristol City was much much better in the second half anyway. And the the performance in the last 20 minutes against Huddersfield was good enough to win the game. What we're seeing in taking only one point from those two games is a little bit of natural variance working itself out. And that was always going to happen if we weren't creating enough chances. Yeah, we do need to start creating more chances and conceding less, but conceding the chances is probably more down to individual errors than the actual kind of team performance. 
Um, so if you can cut out the errors, then you can expect to concede fewer chances. Um, in terms of creating them, yeah, it's it's kind of been an issue to start off with. We, like I say, sometimes we seem to have not enough men forward supporting the attacks. But again, it's kind of our margins as to when you do create a chance, and it, especially when you're looking at the xG of it. If you don't take your shot, then you don't don't get anything for it. Like Madra at the end, um, I think Tom Santi had a similar one. I already mentioned Townsend one that if it had been pulled back a little bit more and he hadn't been stretching so much, then it would have been a, a really, really good chance. Would have had a really high XG, especially compared to what it got. Um, and well, and there was a shot to... as well that was blocked by a hand, um, which Corbran did speak about afterwards and again was another shout for a penalty, which won't have counted too much. But I think that was that was travelling if it didn't get blocked. Yeah, I mean, the XG of that would have... you still got the XG for it. Probably wouldn't have been great because it was from just outside the area, if I remember correctly. Um, but had that been on target, then you know, it probably asked a few questions of the goalkeeper. So it's just far margins like that that stop you from or allow you to create chances that, that you probably should have done but didn't quite. So, yeah, it's not like we've been terrible, but we just need to be a bit more um, precise probably in the final third when we are trying to create chances and getting shots off. You mentioned there about the individual errors, Pete. A little bit of data on that. We, uh, I mean, we talked about how we're making more individual errors this season than last on the last pod. So I'm not going to go back over um, though uh, that data. But what what I am going to say is we have now made five individual errors that have led to opposition shots. Two of them were against Bristol City, where, which was Alex Palmer coming out and missing that ball when they hit the post and then Cedric Kipre completely missing the ball, which led to the chance right at the end to flip that, to give you some perspective on that, the amount of individual errors that opposition teams have made against us that have led to shots on goal is one, which is the um, blind back pass against Middlesbrough, which led to Brandon Thomas Asante scoring. So, we are we are gifting teams chances. I mean, it, five five um, errors leading to leading to ch- uh, big chances leading to shots is nearly one a game because we've played six games. Whereas the opposition aren't giving us chances. They they they've made one mistake in six games. The reality is, as you say, Pete, and this is where I have a lot of sympathy for Corbran because. His setup is working by and large. It's just individual errors are costing us. We've talked about Kipre a lot this season. Kipre for me is he he's a quandary because he's brilliant for 89 minutes and then he just has a horror moment like he had against Bristol City and it, it and it can cost us the game. Palmer will come to in a minute is doing some brilliant things like uh, I'll, I'll well in fact I'm going I'm going uh, I'll I'll give you this data now Palmer the, here's the saves he's made this season he made a post shot expected goal save of 0.55 yesterday just to, uh, for anybody who doesn't understand it who doesn't listen to this every week post shot expected goals expected goals measures um, the chance of scoring from where the shot was taken from based on um, a sample size of how of of how many people generally score from that position on the pitch. The post shot expected goals measures the quality of the actual strike itself. So um, 
it, it basically takes into account the quality of the hit. So it's a much better metric for 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 seeing how well goalkeepers have performed if they keep that ball out so this the, the one yesterday had 0.55 which basically means over half the time that shot goes into the back of the net so it's a good save 0.8 post shot expected goal save against borough so that eight out of ten times that goes in the back of the net a 0.588 post shot expected goal save against Swansea. So six out of 10 times that goes in the back of the net. And Daniel James's um, curler against Leeds had 0.57 expected uh, post shot expected goals. So again, in and around six out of 10 times that shot goes in the back of the net. Past, it goes past six out of 10 goalkeepers. Let's put it that way. So Alex Palmer is say is saving the the ones that you wouldn't really expect him to save Pete but then but then he's making making howlers uh, in ones that you'd expect him to deal with such as the near post goals against Huddersfield or running past that ball yes uh, against Bristol City you've got two players there in Kipre and Palmer who are basically outperforming their numbers for massive parts of the game but they they've just got these ricks in them and that's what's that's what's costing us goals it's what's costing us chances this season and they've they, they are both brilliant players at this level if they can get those errors out of their game but the question is can they do that because at the moment you sit and watch a game a West Bromwich Albion game and what and what you're basically thinking is these guys look in control. They look like they're they're dealing with it. There was one phenomenal block from Kipre where I think Malumbi overran the ball on the right hand side in the first half, and uh, and Bristol City got in, and Kipre had to get across and make a phenomenal block. I don't think anybody else in the team gets across as quickly as Kipre does there, but the issue is that they do all that and then they undo like 89 minutes of good work with one horror moment, which could have been the case for Kipre yesterday. And I don't know what he's doing for that one that Palmer has to save. And it could have been the case for Palmer when he comes out and misses his kick. It's, it's such a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. But I suppose that's what you could say is the reason that they're playing for West Bromwich Albion in the championship rather than higher. We weren't making these mistakes last season, Pete. That's that. That's the difference. I, I appreciate what you're saying, but we had we had a team of championship footballers last season. Palmer was the goalkeeper last season. He wasn't making these errors. Yeah, and like you say, Palmer's made some, some brilliant saves in there, but then let in some chances that you probably wouldn't expect him to. Um, quite a few at the near post that we've noted. Um, yeah, if you can keep out the, maybe the easier chances, then he's going to be looking really good again, like he did when he first came into the starting eleven. And as with Kipri, is it just concentration, Pete? I'm not sure. Um, the near posting seems like it could be potentially be a weakness um, because it's happened so many times already this season. The kick against Bristol City, yeah, I don't, I don't, can't, don't, can't really put my finger on that. It was it seemed like it'd be a simple kind of volley that he, he regularly does when he. That's decision up. making, though, isn't it? Because it, because I mean, I appreciate what you're saying about the the um, the volley, but I don't I don't even think he needs to come out. I think that situation's under control. Yeah, he probably didn't need to come out and, you know, like you say, decision-making there and maybe concentration for that part. But we saw him sweep up quite well when Bartley came into the side for, for that one game. Had to do a lot more sweeping in behind the back line and did it pretty comfortably. So, yeah, it's, it's not th- something that you'd expect him to do. Um, we know that Kipre seems to have a mistake in him. 
he can play extremely well, can be solid defensively and be really good on the ball, but can have that moment where he, he just kind of messes up. And I think he in in that um, chance that you mentioned towards the end of the game that Palmer had to save, he, he obviously made a mistake, but he did quite well to get his arm out of the way because I was convinced that he was going to handball it as the ball went through after he realised he was out of position and then give away a penalty. But luckily he got his arm out of the way and then Palmer got us out of trouble. But he does regularly seem to have just one kind of mistake in him at a lapse of concentration, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that can definitely cost you. And that's a frustration, isn't it? Because generally, and I know I know some of the other defenders are getting a bit of stick, but I, I actually think that, that, that a lot of them showed up very, very well uh, at times yesterday. I thought we talked about how we missed Semi Ajayi's long passing against Huddersfield. Well, he was back to his best yesterday. Ten long passes, seven of them accurate. It just gets us up the field so well. Okay, he needs that target, but it, it, it it's um and it's not Jed Wallace. We've established that it doesn't. It needs to not be Jed Wallace. But I think I think because uh, um, I, I went to Bucharest last week, as you know, Pete, and and I thought, do you know what? I'm just because I never ever listen back to the pods. I thought I've got a long flight ahead of me. I'm just going to listen back to the the pod, just see if there's anything we can do better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, what I established we can do better is I can shut up more and let you talk. Um, but uh, but. but one thing I noticed listening to to a pod, I think it was the Swansea one I was listening to, and it was just how often this season we've talked so, so positively about Semi Ajayi. I think when he's missing, he's he's absolutely massive. But I also thought Eric Peters on the other side was was superb against Bristol City. You look at all his data, tackles, interceptions, clearances. He was top of pretty much everything for an Albion defender. And just, you know, I just want to dwell on those two players for a moment because particularly with Eric Peters, we were a little bit critical of him and we were also wondering why he hadn't played a lot in pre-season. Well, obviously, we got that answer um, in in the in the week after his his wife revealed that she has had a very serious health scare over the course of the summer and quite clearly Eric has had to had to do that um has had to be there for her and help her through that and I think it's very easy to forget with these players that they're human beings and they have they have lives going on outside of football and that what goes on outside of football can uh, can affect how involved they can be can be on their mind when they're trying to play and I think for it's not a surprise that Eric Peters missed chunks of preseason now after knowing that, um, and it's not a surprise that he maybe wasn't quite as at it at the very start of the season as he might have been because who would be if they had that going on in their personal life? And I think it's it's it first of all it speaks volumes for the man that he's back and he's back at a level where we want him to be, but also it just goes to show that Eric Peters with his you know his mind completely set on football is a real real asset for us at this level and i just want to finish what i'm saying here Pete before i throw to you by saying look the thoughts of all of us um myself and Pete at albion analysis are with eric and his wife i'm delighted to hear that that, that she's she's massively getting getting better and um 
uh, and we just you know um, just wish wish them all the support and and all the best for the future because it's it's horrible for anybody to have had to have gone through what they've had to go through this summer. Yep, I can only echo that. In terms of the performances of the of the centre backs, um, yeah, both were very good. Um, in terms of the passing, Ajay we definitely missed, and um, Peter as well. I think he had, I think his pass accuracy was eighty five percent with seven progressive passes in there. So moved the ball forward well um, and kept the ball. Similar to Ajay, he had eighty one percent pass accuracy and twelve progressive passes. So even better from Ajay in terms of moving the ball forward, and he quite often finds himself. Him, Furlong, and um, Malumbi have those rotations out on the right, and it quite often finds Ajay kind of free to to play that pass forward to maybe Furlong that's that's made the run in behind or inside, and it works quite nicely out there. And I think Ajay, to be fair to him, is probably our well, I was going to say our best centre back on the ball, but with Kipre taking up that central role, it it probably isn't. Um, but he's the one that generally finds himself with the most freedom in the opposition half to play the passes that can potentially hurt them um, kind of start our attack so yeah he's really useful to have and he looks to be informed again he had a season maybe two seasons where he, he seemed to look maybe like he lacked concentration his passes were just seemed to be miscued quite a lot and miss it and well, you wonder, you wonder whether that was that, that was mental, Pete, because um, he got completely bombed out by um, Val, didn't he? I mean, we can only assume there was a, there was a falling out there. I mean, Val certainly had that in his locker. He 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 seemed to be able to fall out with players on a weekly basis, and it it seemed to take Ajay a while to come back from uh, from what happened to him under Val. Yeah, maybe that was it, because you know, like I say. Quite often, see him trying to hit like those long diagonal balls that he does, and he would just kind of pull them and not connect with them cleanly, and just kind of hit them directly to to an opposition player, and then they'd be on the counter attack. So he almost used to scare me when he had the ball at his feet because he, yeah, he just didn't seem to to be able to pick a pass. But this season, it's it's been the opposite. He's been really good in possession. You know, he's been picking the right passes and. And picking them accurately as well. So, in terms of a, a centre back, ball playing centre back, and especially a wide centre back in a, in a back three, I don't think there's much more that you could ask for him when he's got the ball at his feet. One other from the defence that I just want to quickly highlight, Pete, not least, not least because he's much maligned, um, is Darnell Furlong and how his performance yesterday another one that's uh, you i mean you you said something in uh, you always say something interesting pete but something that pertains to what i'm about to say uh, uh, earlier that when Maja came on he made everybody else better and i thought furlong was certainly one of those within that because you look at furlong's contributions in the latter part of the game against bristol city the ball in for swift's header is nothing short of phenomenal and also, you look at the uh, you look at the the, the ball through um, for Maja that when Maja then ends up squaring it for for Townsend, and it's another brilliant ball. I, I I do think there's a lot to be said for Furlong gets a lot of stick, but you give him options ahead of him. We talked about this a bit in pre season that he was being asked to tuck narrower and he was playing some phenomenal balls through in pre season friendlies for uh, for some of our chances and some of our goals. I think if you give Furlong more options ahead of him, I think he's a real threat because his passing looks really decent. 
he was playing quite wide yesterday, as you expect with wing backs. But Magic definitely helped him when he came on. I mean, Furlong just generally his passing was was really good and in an attacking sense as well, very threatening. He had 15 progressive passes, four into the box. Um, and interestingly, when Magic came on, Furlong received about four about 40 passes, and four of them were from Magic. That was more than um, he'd received from Thomas Sante for the whole game. Only three there, so. Magic seemed to bring him into the game a bit more, and I mean, Furlong even even delivered to to Magic the same, made the same amount of passes to Magic as he did to Thomas Sante the whole game. So yeah, he definitely linked up well with Magic, and um, I think when he's got players around him and he can rotate, he quite often picks a good pass um, and can do that quite comfortably with Mullumby and Wallace or Thomas Sante, whoever it is ahead of him. Um, those rotations seem to work quite well, and he can sometimes find himself getting into the box as well, which is nice. And yeah, I mean, said it from the start of the season, that I think in terms of right-backs in the division, I don't think we could have asked too much more than to have Darnell Furlong. I think he's probably among the, the best right-backs in the division. I know he's quite often not popular among Albion fans, but yeah, I think he's he's generally very good and can do a number of roles as well. So um, I don't think it was ever a position that we desperately needed to, to bring in somebody to to take over that role, but I mean, we have brought in Pippa as a bit of competition, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when he gets fully up to speed and um, option for selection. We, I mentioned those quotes from uh, from Corbran earlier, Pete. We've we've pretty much talked about all of them except for one. What what do you make of his comments that um, that the reason that Yukoslu has been substituted in every game so far is because uh, he feels Yukoslu at the moment is unable to sustain his level of performance for for 90 minutes. Um, I, I just, uh, I think that that was a very, it was a very honest comment, but it was an interesting one. What did you think? Well, to me, that sounded like his, his fitness isn't there. If you can't sustain it for the full 90 minutes, um, in which case you surely got to look, look at the preseason that was done. Um, you know, it's early on in the season. You'd expect, it's not like we're playing, twice a week yet I mean we will be this week but on the coming week but you'd expect you'd expect players to be able to last 90 minutes at this stage of the season um, you almost got to look at the, the work that you've done yourself I think in pre-season to, to get the fitness up to scratch if that is what he's hinting at um, otherwise it could be concentration I guess or I'm not really sure what else but um, I think it's probably fair to say he does seem to drop off towards the end of the end of games Um I guess the the bigger question is whether his replacements have that have come on that have been subbed on for him have been a better option than him when he's potentially struggling towards the end of the games. Not sure if you generally, I'd say one. no. I actually, I did, I did think Moat actually improved us against Bristol City. Yeah, I thought Moat was very good, and he tends, he generally has been when he's come on. He's obviously not as good in the air as as Yakuzlu or Chalaba when he has come on to replace Yakuzlu. So that might be something that Corbran has looked at and. Maybe why he's decided against Mo at times, but in terms of getting the ball on the floor and playing it around, I think he's a really good option. Generally, very calm on the ball and keeps it well and, and plays some good passes. So it's kind of depends what the game calls for, I guess. Um, if you're going to dominate the ball and and have lots of possession, then the Mo is probably more useful to you than than maybe your Kuzlu is. Um, if you're going to need to do a bit of defensive work, then then you probably rather have your Kuzlu, and um, especially if you're going to get a lot of long balls towards you but yeah I'd, I'd agree with you there that Moet came on and, and had a positive impact 
last point, Pete. Um, but it's 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 a it's a big one. I think I, I do wonder whether this is largely Twitter X um, uh, talking because I, I I didn't hear any dissent. I was at Bristol City um, on Saturday. I didn't hear any dissent in the crowd towards uh, towards Carlos Corbran. But nonetheless, there's been some quite vocal people on social media dissenting against Carlos Corbran. I'll give my view. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, first of all, as I said at the top of this uh, of this podcast, I don't know where people expect us to be. Um, I don't know why people think we should be playing gorgeous Bilic-esque football when Bilic had a real budget to go and make this squad his own and, um, and Corbran has been able to bring in three players for zero pounds. That so I don't know why people expect that. I don't know why people think that this should be this mishmash squad of multiple different managers should has some sort of divine right to be in and around uh, in and around the the the, the top six. Uh, you know, it's something we've got to earn. And um, and you look at the amount of money that other teams have been able to spend this summer, and we're nowhere near. So. I don't know what people really expect. I think Corbran is uh, Corbran is doing a sh- a job on a shoestring budget, and being uh, people will say, okay, but look at the players he's got. Yes, but they're not his players. But, but managers like to build a squad, build a team in their own image, and Corbran has not been able to do that. And to be able to do it with with somebody else's players, but not just somebody else's players, but a mishmash of three or four different managers players which makes it even harder because the players aren't even recruited to fit one style they're recruited to fit three or four different styles i think he's trying to find solutions to these problems and i th- i do think he's doing a good job i don't think we're far off but i mean i speak to people in football all the time and you know these are people at clubs um, who really, really know what they're talking about. And all I ever hear is the same thing. Albion will be competitive because of your manager. Um, they, they they keep saying the best thing Albion have got going for them is their manager. I'd be really worried about Albion if it weren't for their manager. This is what I hear all the time from people in football. And the fact that some fans, and whether it's just the vocal minority on social media, I appreciate everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I don't think they realise how badly off we could be if we didn't have Carlos Corbran. This exact same group of players before he came in was bottom of this league. Now, we fin- we finished one game away from the playoffs last season and OK, we're 12th after a mediocre start, but we're not, you know, I, 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 I see an upward trajectory in our future, not a downward one. I don't know why people think we should be where I mean, even Ipswich, they might look at Ipswich and say, "Oh, League One team promoted." Look how much money Ipswich have been able to invest in their team over the last two years. It's it's night and day between what we've been able to do. Look at what Leicester, Leeds, Southampton, even Norwich, some of the players they've been able to to bring in. Stoke the amount of money they've been able to chuck around. The teams towards the top of this league have been able to invest heavily in their sides, generally speaking. We have not. If, let me be very clear about something in my opinion. If Carlos Corbran gets us anywhere near making the playoffs this season, 
I think he's done an absolutely brilliant job with everything that's going on around the club because the club's number one priority, whilst they would like promotion this season, is not promotion. It is bringing down the wage bill. It is making the club financially sustainable. That is the number one priority. The second priority is obviously promotion, but the first one is far more important than the second one because they can't gamble on promotion anymore. We've gambled on promotion for a couple of seasons. It hasn't worked. And now we're financially unable to do that. And I, whilst I appreciate we've looked, we've, we've, we've offered some criticism of Carlos Corbran. We think he needs to be, um, he needs to go for games a little bit more in the early period. We need to create more chances and we question some of his team selection. We don't think Jed Wallace should be playing. That's not to say that Carlos Corbran is, um, uh, is free of any criticism. I'm not saying he is. I think there's areas where you can look at Carlos and say, you could be doing better. But the idea that, we should even have a fleeting thought of dismissing Carlos Corbran as manager, that there should be any thought in the fans' minds that this is a manager that we need to revolt against to the point where we get rid of him. Like, as was the case with Valerian Ishmael, for example, as, you know, making uh, the, the manager's position there, the manager's position with Bruce became untenable. Corbran shouldn't be, ever. at this. Uh, not Not unless things go horribly, horribly wrong. Because... He is a massive, massive asset to this football club. And I do think there is a small section of, uh, but they're a very vocal section of our supporters at this present time who massively undervalue what we have as a manager, Pete. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think we can expect to have any better managers in this division, in this situation. Um, I think it's kind of a miracle that he actually stayed on and, and didn't move on in the summer when... You imagine he'd have had options, and even before that, when Leeds were interested back in the in the spring, because um, he's having to to manage the side on very difficult situations behind the scenes. So, um... and that's and that's ignoring the fact as well, by the way, in what I've just said that um, that because of the new contract that you just mentioned there, Pete, we we one can't afford to sack him, and if we did, we we wouldn't be able to afford to replace him with anybody even remotely decent. Yeah, exactly. So I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be foolish at this stage to even consider it. I'd struggle to to even think that the club is considering it because of the situation that we've got. Um, yeah, I don't think we could be expecting to do too much better than we are at the minute. I mean, again, it's really early in the season. The kind of position right now doesn't really matter, but we're in a situation where if we can put a, a run of performances and results in, then you can quickly climb the table. We're not playing poorly. I don't think we're playing as good as we can be, but yeah, I can't, I can't imagine anyone would be able to come in and make his play form any better than we are at the minute. So, yeah, it's just not even something I'd consider at the minute. No, me either. I think I think it would be, as I say, ludicrous is the word I would use to even consider Carlos's future. But as I say, the, uh, the that vocal minority was uh, was somewhat out in in force last night. But I don't really understand why. Anyway, um, let's hope that uh, by the time we record next, Carlos Corbran has um, changed the hearts and minds of those who uh, who who aren't convinced by him with uh, with a couple of results. Uh, we are away to Watford in midweek. And then we are at home to Millwall uh, uh, on the Saturday, as is often the case. Um, unfortunately, due to our personal commitments, we can't record after 
every game. Um, that Pete is obviously uh, the 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 van is only available for recordings on on certain uh, certain days. So I'm I'm led to believe, and um, uh, unfortunately, I I don't get to enjoy the Spanish uh, Portuguese sunshine slash mountains. Uh, I have to go to work on these days. So um, we will be back after the Millwall game, and uh, we will look back on both the Millwall and Watford games. So until then. Thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.